We have two scripture readings this morning. The first scripture reading is from the book of Job. Job 19, verses 20 through 27. I am nothing but skin and bones. I have escaped only by the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me, my friends. Have pity, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written down on a scroll, that they were inscribed with iron, with an iron tool on lead, or even engraved on rocks forever. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that the end, in the end he will stand on earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with mine own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Our New Testament reading today is from the Gospel of Mark, Mark 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away for the entrance to the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You were looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they had laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Let us pray. Father, there is no God but you. Father, you are a God of promise. You are a God of fulfillment. You are a God of redemption. You are a God of victory, victory over sin and victory even over death. And Father, it is our pleasure to join our brothers and sisters throughout the entire world, recognizing your resurrection this day thanking you for the finished work upon the cross. And Father, we have the blessings of seeing the promises fulfilled in the resurrection of Christ, and we eagerly await to see his return. And Father, now we would ask that you would accept our continued worship through song, and also our continued worship through the hearing of your word. We pray especially for Jerry as he presents your word to us this day. Father, we pray that not only would we be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers of your word. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We are gathered here this morning on the highest and holiest day of the Christian year, the day of resurrection. In fact, we come out of a tradition where the day of rest and worship is the last day of the week, which would be Saturday. And yet we worship on the first day of the week, Sunday, because this is the Lord's day. This is the day on which he rose from the dead. Now, it's an interesting thing to consider. It's not hard to believe in and follow a dead leader. A lot of great leaders have died. Uh, Constantine died. Uh, Who were some of the great leaders that you would think of? I think of European, you know, George Washington, great leader, died. There were some great bad leaders too, 
Now, Massey Tongue or Stalene, they die. It's not hard to believe that great leaders die. Some lived and died for bad things. Some died for good things. Some even died for their friends to save them. All sorts of ways to die, all sorts of people. But there's one thing that we are convinced of, that we have ample evidence, is that everyone dies. I mean, I'd be willing to bet that in 150 years, none of you will be here. Now, I might be. (laughs) Uh, That's right. If I have enough medicine and eat right and exercise enough, then I should live forever. But, uh, in fact, we were driving in today, and here's this... Looked like a very old man all bundled up, and he was running, and he was kind of ambling down the street, and we said, well, why is he doing that? He looks in severe pain, you know, and Sandy's a nurse, and she was wondering, is he going to make it uh, to the end of the road? Well, he's seeking immortality. He's trying to keep his body functioning and going. So if we want to talk about Christ uh, dead, that's Okay. We have plenty of dead leaders, but this is a whole different thing. This is uh, Christ resurrected. Now, we don't have many of those, do we? It's kind of outside our experience. And that's why we're going to talk this morning about, first of all, you see the questions in your bulletin. I think uh, I've given you an outline there on page seven. Is resurrection possible? Is resurrection probable? And is resurrection beneficial? In other words, even if it happened, so what? Nice scientific curiosity, but what does that have to do to me? Does it mean anything uh, for me? So, oh, and where we're going, you see the opening verse up there from John 11. Jesus said to this woman, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die." Yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So we're not only dealing with his resurrection, we're dealing with the claims that come out of that resurrection, that because he has risen from the dead, he is not only resurrected, but he now has life in him that he can extend to others. For example, Adam could reproduce but he could not create. So when he and his wife Eve sinned, and the wages of sin is death, and the first effect was death of the soul, uh, darkening of the mind, hardening of the heart, and then the physical death is actually the result and the outward working of that. And then they started having children, and they found out they had passed that death gene on. Adam and Eve could reproduce, but they could not give life. But Christ is saying here, I am risen from the dead and I can give life. I can give life to dead, dying people. So it's not only did he rise, but is the impact of his life viable? So let's look at this first. Is the resurrection possible? It, after all, violates uh, scientific law, does it not? Uh, A dead body, you know, it just can't be revivified. We've never seen it. 
it's against the scientific laws we know it. So, so is it even possible, or should we dismiss it as uh, they made it up, their aspirations and desires, the early apostles and disciples were so brokenhearted that he had died and his impact of them was so great that they just said, well, he is risen. Well, by the way, maybe we should stop there and say, what are we talking about? Resurrection. Are we talking about an uplifting ideal of what it means to be human so that we rise higher on our plane of life than we would otherwise if we didn't have this? Well, it sounds good, doesn't it? I should, did you write that down? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking an actual body that came back to life and not a ghost. In fact, the early apostles saw him and they were frightened because ghosts are kind of scary. They show up, you don't know what they're going to do and they disappear and they can go through walls and you can put their hands from them. They're They're just a scary thing. And they were frightened that he was, he said, no, it's really me. This is my body. In fact, he said, give me some of that fish right there. And he put it in his mouth, and he chewed it, and he swallowed it. And there's no record that they could see it going down into his stomach. I mean, it, it, it was a real body. And he said, if that's not enough, take a look. I've got wounds in my hand and wounds in my side and wounds in my feet that I received when I was crucified. This is that body. But now it's risen again to new life. That body, uh, like our body, is made for the world, and it can't last for all of eternity. Even if we didn't die, I mean, look at us at 60, 70, and 80. Can you imagine what we'd be at 500? A thousand? Holy smokes. Who would want to, by that time, with nothing but, you know, tubes and machines? I mean, uh, who, who would want that? In fact, in some ways, being able to die is a release from that. But Jesus is actually saying, I can give new life. So not only is the mind and the heart and the will and the soul revivified and resurrected, but the body itself comes back, and it's a new kind of body that is fitted for eternity. It will last forever and not wear out. So, I mean, it gets bigger and bigger. So, first, we're just talking about this uh, great man who died. Now, we're talking about this great man who rose again from the dead with a body. And he's saying, if you follow me and believe in me, I can give you the same type of life. So, the claims are getting higher and higher. The stakes are getting higher. So, that's why we first ask, is this type of resurrection possible? Because it violates scientific law. Well, first of all, we have to come up and say right away, well, of course it is. I mean, we just said in the Apostles' Creed, we believe in God the Father Almighty. God is omnipotent. That means he can do all things that are reasonable. And so, but you say, well, wait a minute. He can't violate scientific law. After all, it's law. You say, what? I mean, let's think about this now. Who made those laws? God made them. Now, we call them laws because they're laws to us because if we violate them, we pay a price. If you jump off of a tall building, gravity will get you. You see how that works. But now God is spirit. So what happens if he jumps off a tall building? Nothing. 
I mean, these laws don't apply to him. They're not even laws to him. Now, here's the interesting thing. He graciously, because he created the world and put all these laws into effect, he graciously does not violate them so that we can have predictability. You see that? We believe in the effect of causes, you see. So if we till the soil and put a seed in it, we can reasonably expect that seed is going to produce a plant and produce a crop. If you didn't have that predictability, no one would be sowing and planting and no one would be reaping. So God made the laws and he graciously allows them to continue for our benefit so that we have predictability in our lives. You know, the sun comes up every morning, sets every day. You can kind of count on it, right? Now, God at times does supersede those laws. They are his laws. And when those laws are superseded, then they're called miracles. You know, a miracle isn't just, uh, oh, isn't that wonderful? You know, that's happened very seldom. No, a miracle is something that actually supersedes a natural law. For example, an axe head that made out of heavy metal that falls off an axe into a river actually floats back up. Aching, you can reach out and grab it. Uh, people that have uh, diseases you know, without any medical intervention are healed. You see? See, medical intervention is wonderful, thank God for it, but we don't call that a miracle because the drugs that are used, for example, have been tested by scientific law again and again and again, researched and developed and produced. You see, they are following natural law. So we establish right away, God is able to raise someone from the dead. He is perfectly able and is all within the realm of acceptability that he who created the laws can supersede them if he wishes to. So this comes from, um, I gave you Romans 1, 4. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. There's the power. God exerted his limitless, omnipotent, almighty power to raise Jesus from the dead. So I hope we've answered the question. Of course it's possible. You know, if there is a God, if, he, if he's almighty and omnipotent, then he can supersede the laws that he made if he so desires at any time, any place, anyhow. That's his choice, and he has the power to do it. Unless, of course, you believe that the laws themselves are God and there is no God. Now, of course, if you assume that, then that's a whole different ballgame. But we started out by saying, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So it's possible. Well, is it probable? Anything is possible with God. Is it probable uh, that it would happen? Well, how do, you, how do you establish that, you see? Because Jesus isn't here for us to see him eat fish. He's not here for us to see and touch those wounds in his side. He ascended into heaven. So how are we to know it? Well, first of all, you can't do it scientifically because it's not repeatable and observable. But we believe a lot of things that are not repeatable and observable. 
I mentioned Constantine, the great Roman Christian emperor that started Constantinople. Um, do you believe he existed? You ever met him? Any of you been to Constantinople? Istanbul. But we believe that he existed on what? The basis of historical evidence. We have written records that he existed. We have monuments that they say were for him. And interestingly enough, this is what the apostle said. In fact, if you uh, look at 1 Corinthians 15, um, there's, I'll give you uh, this, 1 Corinthians 15. Let me read you a whole passage, beginning in verse 3, because this is Paul the apostle. He's saying to the Corinthians church in Greece, What I received, I pass on to you of first importance, that Christ died according to the scriptures, that he was buried. Now, he gives one scientific, historical proof that Jesus died. And what is that? He was buried. That's, the, that's all he says. He was buried. And people back then knew when someone was dead. They lived with death all the time. And so when he was buried, that was proof that he was dead. But when it comes to the resurrection, he gives six evidences. It's not hard to believe someone great died. It's hard to believe that someone great rose from the dead. So he gives uh, six evidences. He was buried. He was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And there's a whole other ballgame there. The resurrection of life and resurrection of Christ fulfilled about 300 Old Testament scriptures, many of which he couldn't possibly have arranged, like where he was born. You can't arrange that. Uh, where, uh, how he died, where he was buried, how he was buried. And that he appeared to Peter. Now see what he's saying? He's saying there are witnesses. This is how we establish historicity. Are there witnesses? Is there any evidence for this? Well, he appeared to Peter. Well, that's one guy. Well, he appeared to the twelve. Well, that's 12 witnesses. And by the way, all of these 12, 11 of them, according to the history that we have, these apostles died violent deaths. And they died for one reason, because that Jesus had risen from the dead. He wasn't just a great teacher and a great moral example. He had risen from the dead, and God had declared that he was the Lord of all the earth. And therefore, all governments, all kings, all presidents, of senates and house of representatives are under Christ. And that is not acceptable to socialists, communists, dictatorships, or even many countries in the West. And they died for saying, Jesus rose from the dead and we saw him. All they had to do was, hey, 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 he's dead. He's just a great teacher. We're trying to follow his example. And they could have lived. So if they were lying, <clears throat> they died for it. After that, he appeared to more than 500 people at the same time. Okay, there's one, there's 12, and now there's 500. So here are these apostles out proclaiming that Jesus had risen from the dead, and all one of the 500 have to say is, I ain't seen him. Any one of those 500 could have said, I'm not a witness, I ain't seen nothing. But he's appealing to them. And they agreed, and their testimony 
supported what they were saying. He even says, look, most of them are still living. You can go talk to them, although some have died. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me, Paul. That's six evidences. So is it possible? Yes. Is it probable? As far as historicity goes, we have evidence and we have testimony. So by talking about resurrection, we're not talking about something that's impossible. And so we have to redefine the resurrection in such a way it's still scientifically possible, like Jesus is a spirit or a ghost, or this is something that happened in our mind and heart, and isn't it wonderful? It's claiming actual physical resurrection into a new body that can be imparted to others. And then they say, here is the scientific evidence for that. So I want to go through that with you because there's a saying, the heart cannot rejoice in what the mind does not believe. Now, we've worked hard to bypass that. And the way we've done it in, in some areas is redefine the terms, redefine what sin means. And uh, I saw sin, uh, what is sin? Any uh, lack of conformity unto or by transgression of the law of God. That's what we believe. This People were defining sin as uh, the failure to live up to your full potential. Well, I said, okay. See, if we redefine sin, then redefine resurrection, then we can figure out a way to believe it. This is stark. This is real. But it is still possible, and it's even probable because of historical evidence. Well, if we've done that, let's go ahead. If you're willing to go along with that part, is it beneficial? Why go to all that work if it doesn't have any real impact for me? Now, I've got about, <clears throat> there are a lot of results, impacts, benefits of the resurrection of Christ. I've got about 10 or 12. And uh, because of time and some of them we want to talk about, we're probably going to do maybe three or four. Now, if you want the other 10, uh, you can go to my website you know, gospel preaching with a southern accent. And you can get this sermon for the very low price of $9.95. <laughs> Shipping and handling $29.95. But <clears throat> or you can come downstairs to the uh, sermon discussion. And we'll answer any questions you've got after the 30-minute break with fellowship and food. We gather down there in a big circle and get coffee. Any questions you have about this or if you want to hear some more benefits, uh, that would be the easiest way to get it. But let's look at some of the, what are some of the benefits of, uh, of Christ uh, rising from the dead. First of all, it proves that Jesus is God. Now, uh, let me use here Romans 4. I didn't try to put everything in the bulletin. Romans 1, 4, chapter 1, verse 4. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power, by his resurrection from the dead. The resurrection proves that he is God. Well, why does it? Well, Jesus was doing a lot of miracles when he was walking around. He was healing sick people. He was multiplying bread and fishes. Uh, he actually raised someone from the dead. Now, you think that would be enough evidence that this was someone special. But like we do, we redefine sin and we redefine resurrection. They redefine it. Oh, yeah, he's doing miracles, but he's doing it by the power of Satan. There you go. He's doing it by the power of Satan. Therefore, this is what they said during Jesus' lifetime, 
We're not going to follow him. Rather, we should destroy him. And Jesus said, well, what makes you say that? They said, I'll tell you what. The prophets in the Old Testament did signs to prove that they were spokesmen of God. Okay? In fact, we have many prophets today that claim to be prophets and speak for God. In fact, I read an article that said the prophets explain, this magazine, the prophets explain the meaning of the burning of Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. And I looked at their article and I said, but not a one of them predicted it. I mean, you know, this is like the king and he's with Daniel and he brings Daniel in and his wise men and he says, uh, tell me what my dream means. And the wise men said, well, if you tell us a dream, we'll tell you what it means. He said, no, 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 no. You tell me what the dream was first, if you are really prophets and wise men. Of course, they couldn't do that, and they suffered execution. So he brought Daniel in and said, if you're a prophet of God, oh, stop right there. I'll tell you what the dream was. You haven't told anybody. And he told them, and then he explained it. So they're saying to Jesus... Be like a Daniel. Show us a miracle. And Jesus said, I'm, not, I'm doing miracles left and right. I'm not going to perform for you. You have enough evidence. But I'll tell you what. I'll give you a sign. I'll give you the sign of Jonah. You remember Jonah was running away from God. They threw him off the ship because of the storm. And he was scooped up by this huge fish. And he spent how many days and nights in the belly of that fish? Three. I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. I'm going to be crucified, dead, and buried, and after three days, I'm going to rise again. Now, that's a pretty strong prediction. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by his resurrection from the dead. And see, there's another reason he had to be God. Jesus died for our sin, right? He was the spotless lamb. Do you know he was fully God and fully man? Do you know if you want to die for someone else's sin, you got a couple of roadblocks, don't you? Number one, you got to die for your own. Well, you say, well, I'll go ahead and do that and get it out of the way, and then I'll buy, die for someone else. The problem is the sin is against an infinite, holy, eternal, uh, omnipresent, omnipotent God. So guess how long it takes to pay back that sin? Eternity. So one human being can die for one human being, okay? Well, then Jesus could die for one. Well, how about all the others? Jesus was sinless, so he could die for one. But because he was fully God and infinite, his death could have an infinite value. Only God could pay for the sins of a immeasurable number of people. When he rose from the dead that proved that he had finished the deal, that he had paid the price, that it was completed. You see where I'm going with that? Only God could do that, or he'd still be in the grave paying. So the first thing the resurrection did, it helped confirm to us that he is God. It also proves that we are justified and forgiven. Romans 4.25, Martin Luther said, this is one of the best verses in the Bible. Romans 4.25. Let me give it to you. Jesus was delivered up for our sins and raised for our justification. Jesus was delivered up 
by God for our sins, and he was raised for our justification. And so that puts together what I was just saying. He died for our sins, and he completely paid for them, and his being raised from the dead indicated that the payment was complete, and that's how we get justified before God, even though we are still sinners, because we are able to participate and receive the righteousness of Christ, and he takes our sin. The resurrection proves that through Jesus Christ, we can be justified, because the resurrection proves that the payment for sin has been completed, or he would still be in the grave paying for it. Romans 4.25, Jesus was delivered up for our sins and raised for our justification. And anticipating this, that's why Jesus said on the cross, it, it, on the cross, it is finished, offered up once for all eternity, never to be repeated, complete fulfillment, paying the debt, burned up the mortgage. We're done with it. So first of all, it proves that he's God. And secondly, it proves that we are forgiven. Thirdly, he is made head of the church. Now this applies to us this morning because we are in a church building and we just professed that Jesus is Lord. And that means that if you do that, you're a Christian. Well, who runs this thing called the church? Well, this is what it says. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. God placed all things under the feet of Christ after the resurrection and appointed him to be head, head over everything for the church, which is his body. Now, this is for us who are Christians and Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior. You got this interesting thing going on. God said, I'm not going to only give you a people that I call out of the world and you paid for their sins. I'm going to mystically, invisibly, spookily put them in this mystical unseen body that is your body. That's how close the connection is. And he said, so what's everything, all this true about Jesus can now be true of the members of his body. Sins forgiven, justified, having the benefit of his righteousness, having the blessings of being in God's presence. It just goes on and on and on. But he's the head of all that. What does that mean that we are? He says we're arms and legs and feet and eyes and ears and, but he is the head of the church. And that's why when America was founded, we put a little line there. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or the free exercise thereof. Why not? Because Jesus is the head of the church, not the government. Is that right? Because God made him the head of the church by virtue of his resurrection. So that's where wherever Christians have gone on the earth, they have spread salt and light. But they've always said the resurrected Lord is the head of the church, not the government. And that's why Christians have always run into conflict with governments. Because not governments are run by people. 
And fallen people don't want to just run a good government. They want to run people's lives. That's right. And there are countries on this earth right now where they are retranslating the Bible to make sure that socialist communist principles are taught in the Bible. And they said, burn your old Bibles. Here's the new Bible. If you're going to have a church that you've got to be up there. Okay. And the premier's picture has to be up because we want it clear to everybody that the government is head of the church. And there are people right now in Sri Lanka, a couple hundred were killed on this Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and their church burned because they will not say another person or a king or government is head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. And we make that clear wherever we go, first item of business, and we actually live in a country where that's written into our founding documents. He is head of the church. Now, let me give you, that's three. He is God. We are justified. He is head of the church. Now, look at this. Let's sum it up. He is Lord of all. Now, we're going to spend more time on this one because it's enough to say, well, wait a minute. He's Lord of the church, but you still got to do what the government says. And that's absolutely right. Uh, the scripture even says, you know, submit to every governing authority for God's sake, because God is the one that gives authority to government. Unless <clears throat> the government usurps the place of Christ over the church and over our lives. So the government told uh, Peter, and his companion in Jerusalem, we need for you to stop preaching about Jesus and his resurrection. And they said, well, you are the, the government. You are our high priest and, and the priests we're under. And we'll, do, we'll, we'll pay the tithe. We'll worship at the temple. We'll, we'll do everything you ask us to do, but that we're not going to do. Because he is Lord over you and over me. And they wouldn't change. And so they punished them. And they let them go. The basis of that is this. And it comes out of Psalm 2. You can read this later. I have established my king, God says. As a result of the resurrection, I have made Jesus king of all the earth. That is his reward. That's Psalm 2. Romans 2 said... He is declared with power to be the Son of God by his power from the resurrection. Uh, Matthew 28, Jesus says, uh, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Is that clear? All authority has been given to me by the Father as a result of my resurrection. in heaven and over the earth. That's broad authority. And that gives him the right to do a couple of things. One is, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. What right do we have to go into this community 
or another community or another state or another country with different culture and religion and say to them, Jesus is Lord. You can be justified through his death and you can have eternal life through his life. What gives us authority to do that? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. The authority comes from Christ. Because he is above culture. He created cultures. And he wants us to speak to cultures. So we have to affirm that, that he is Lord. Uh, Ephesians 1, 2, and 22, and 23 speaks to that. But I want you to look especially here at John 17, 2, and 3. You know, we studied this back in the summer. And Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. Then verse 2. For you have given him authority over all flesh. That's what it says literally, people or world. You have given him, through the resurrection, authority over all flesh. In order that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now he narrows it down. He's Lord of all flesh and he's going to give eternal life to those the Father gave him. Now who are those? If you read the rest of John 17, it's those who he gave the grace to understand their sinfulness and their need for a Savior and drew them to Christ and gave them the grace to say, Lord Jesus Christ, will you be my Savior? Will you take over my life and rule it? Will you forgive my sin? Will you give me eternal life? So you have given me authority over all flesh that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. In other words, the resurrected Christ is saying, I can give life and I do give eternal life to those whom the Father has given to me. And then he goes on and says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, gnosko, experientially, not just intellectually, heart, mind, and soul, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So eternal life is a body eventually resurrected that can live through eternity, but it begins the moment a person becomes a follower of Christ and has their sin forgiven. Because at its basic level, eternal life is knowing God and Jesus. Adam and Eve knew God. He walked in the evening of the cool of the evening and talked with him. And he's saying now all these eons later, we can have that same relationship with God because the sin that separated us has been totally forgiven. How do we know? Because Jesus rose from the dead, and that's proof that he paid for it. He is here to give eternal life. Well, how, how do you get that eternal life? Jesus is head of the church. And he says, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden with your sin, and I will give you rest. You don't have to try anymore, however you try, to follow God's law, 
because we always fail or to make up for past sins or to try to appease God because Jesus has done all that. But it does mean saying, I need a Savior. Lord Jesus Christ, will you be my Savior? He is Lord of all. Now, it's not an easy path. I just told you, when you stand up in a world where people want to rule other people, and you say, Jesus is Lord, you better believe that the resurrection is possible. You better believe that the resurrection is probable, and you better believe that he is your Lord, and you are under his command, so that you can live for him in this world, and be a light, and be salt. But you do it, we do it, with fellowship with the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that makes it all worthwhile. That makes it all possible. And so let me close with you on this. This is 1 John 5, verse 11. 1 John 5, 11. And this is the testimony. This is what we hear. God has given us eternal life. Well, who is us? The church, those who have accepted Christ. And this life is in his son, Jesus Christ. He who has the son has life, but he who did not have the son of God does not have life. Jesus Christ, the father has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the Son has life because it's in Jesus. He who does not have the Son does not have life, does not have the Son of God, does not have life. Life or death, Lord of your own life or yielding to Jesus' Lordship. Eternal life or eternal separation. It all comes down to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. That's why it's important that we clearly define it. It's important that we be convinced it's possible and profitable. But most of all, that we know the consequences for our own eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and we have no hope of receiving life. But through the resurrected Christ, we can. Will you give us the grace this morning to have that life affirmed in our mind? And if I'm still seeking that life, that I would have the grace to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, confess my sin, and ask him, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the Savior and Lord of my life. We ask that you do that among us in Christ's name. Amen.